Well, let me ask you a question real quick. Just show of hands. How many of you like have slept walked before? Okay. In, 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 or, or slept talked like you talk in your sleep. Okay. Some of you have your hands up and some of you, your hands are down, but your roommates like saying, listen, you're a liar because I've seen you sleepwalk and sleep talk. Like I'm yelling at you to shut up. Like you won't stop talking uh, in your sleep. Okay. So the, the other night, like a week ago, okay, I'm up, everyone in my house is asleep and, and my son Levi like pops around the corner and like kind of scares me and, and um, he just is scratching his head and he goes, dad, he's like playing with his hair, dad, uh, Coben, who's his brother and, and Beckham, who's one of his friends that lives on the street, Coben and Beckham, they won't respond to me. And I'm like, what, what do you mean they won't respond? He's like, well, I keep, I keep asking them to, like, to, to come. Like, I keep asking them to, to get in the fight, and, and, and they're not responding. And I'm like, uh, Levi, are you dreaming about Fortnite? Like, what's going on here? Like, he, he, the, he, plays, the, he plays Fortnite with several, several of these friends, and, and he's saying that they won't respond. He's, he's trying to contact them, and he's trying to tell them he needs help, and, and, and they won't respond. And, and, and so he keeps saying this like a madman, and I'm like, Levi, do you know where you're at right now? And he's like, yes, I know where I'm at. I'm at our house. I'm like, well, do you know what time it is? He, uh, and then it's like he woke up. It's in the middle of the night, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it's in the middle of the night, buddy. Like Coben and Beckham, they're not going to be responding to you. Like they're, they're asleep, okay? Uh, uh, you're, you're sleepwalking. And he just kind of sat down on the side of the couch, just like staring off into nothing. And like he had no idea what just happened or, or how he even got there because he like slept walk and was talking to me about whatever was going on in the, in the, in the Fortnite battle, I guess. And, and, um, and, and so... Man, our kids do this. Like, like five years ago, one of the funniest ones ever, my son Coben was like a ninja a lot of times when, when he would sleepwalk, like he was still playing a game. And so, so he would get down and he would crawl around on the, in the living room to kind of sneak around, like he, he thought, thinking we wouldn't see him. Well, one time he came in and he came down below the couch and I was laying on the couch watching TV and he popped up right beside me. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I mean, lucky, like I just didn't like punch him or something. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, dad, with this wild look in his face and he wouldn't stop blinking his eyes. He goes, dad, dad, I can't go to, I can't, I can't go back to sleep. My eyes, they won't stop blinking. And he just was, he was so like, just had this wild look on his face. I'm like, Coben, like you need to, you got, you got to wake up. Like it was clear. Like he was, he was sleepwalking and was in, and was just kind of crazy. He had no idea what was going on. And so, so I took him back to bed, but you know, a lot of times spiritually. And it's like we sang that song a second ago that the Holy Spirit comes and awakens dry bones. A lot of times spiritually, we are asleep. Lots of times we, we can't see with our, with our eyes and, and with our hearts, the things that, that, that God is doing. And the reason why that's a huge problem is because when you're facing the storm or when you're facing the fire or the trial, those but if not moments we've been talking about in this series where you say, God, I know that you can do this. I know that you can save me. I know that you can rescue me. But if not, I'll still worship you. I'll still serve you. Okay, when you're faced with those kinds of moments, if we're not awake spiritually to be able to see what God is doing and what he's up to, that can be a bad moment for us in our relationship with God. Because so often, so many of us, here's what we said in this series, when we face the fire, when we face a trial, when we face the storm, or, or when we face suffering, when we face pain in this life, one of two things always happens. 
Either our faith deflates and we turn away from God and we run from him, or our faith inflates and we have a defiant faith that says, God, even if you don't, like, but if not, I will still worship you. I will still serve you. My love for you, my passion for you, my trust in you is not based upon my circumstances. You can do whatever, God, and I trust in you and believe that you are good. That's a defiant faith that inflates in the moment of trial, in the storm, in the fire. But we do one of two things. And what I want to know, and it's the reason for this series, is what does it look like? What's the difference? How do we have that defiant kind of faith that inflates like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like we talked about in week one, or last week when Brandon spoke and did an amazing job, where he talked about Paul and Silas in the prison that worship God in spite of their circumstances. What does it look like? What, what separates those from their, flate, their, their faith deflating and turning from God? What separates them from those that their faith inflates and they pursue God even harder than they ever have before? What separates the two? What are the differences? Because I don't know about you, I want a faith that says, but if not. I want that kind of faith. This is God, I trust you, I believe in you, I trust your power, you can deliver me, you can rescue me, you can heal me, but if not, I will still worship and serve you. I want that kind of faith. And I'm willing to bet if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, I want that kind of faith too. And maybe you're in the middle of the storm right now and you'd say, I'd like that kind of faith, but I don't have it. That's what this series has been all about. God, would you encourage us? Would you strengthen our faith? Like Abraham, it says about Abraham in Romans 4, that after, in, in spite of everything that he went through, his faith only grew stronger. God, would you do something in us, maybe through this series, that causes our faith to grow stronger, even through the storm, through the fire? And so we're going to finish that up tonight. If you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. And um, if you don't have a Bible, if it's not a translation you understand very well, uh, go to RaiderChurch.com on your phone, uh, click message notes, and you can follow along with us. Uh, the verses are there uh, for you to follow along with us. So Matthew 26, what is the difference? What does it look like to have a faith that inflates, okay? Because the disciples, you're going to see it here in a little bit. The disciples, in the moment of the fire, in the face of the storm, the trial, the, the suffering that's to come, the disciples, in this instance, their faith deflates. And they turn away from Jesus. And so, what is it in this passage that we can learn from the disciples, from Jesus, that will cause our faith to inflate rather than deflate like the disciples? Because Jesus said this, listen, Jesus told us, he warned us, our Savior told us, in this life we would have many troubles. Jesus told us that. So we shouldn't be surprised. We said this in week one. We shouldn't be surprised. Peter told us when we face fiery trials. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us you will have many troubles. Many troubles. Some of you have already been there and you're like, I know what you're talking about. Some of you, you haven't been there yet. And trust me, as you graduate from college and, and, and you start to make some of your uh, decisions like what job you're going to have and you get, you, you get married and you have kids and, or, or, or not, you're, you're going to deal with lots of heartbreak. And a lot of times it gets worse and worse as you get older and you have more experience and you tend to have more to lose. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many struggles, trials, sufferings. 
And so in this series, maybe we could even prepare ourselves. If we're not in the middle of the storm, we could prepare ourselves and say, when the storm comes, we will be able to say, but if not, because of what God has done in us through this series. So if you haven't been here, go online, radiochurch.com, get caught up uh, with the last two weeks. So let's go. Matthew 26, though, starting in verse 36. And uh, for this first part, we're going to be in the New Living Translation. So uh, we're going to switch here in just a little bit for, for a very specific reason. But, but to start, we're going to be in the NLT. So Matthew 26, verse 36 says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. So we're going to stop right there. Let's just dispel the idea that spiritual people don't deal with anxiety or depression or grief or stress or suffer. Jesus, the son of God in this moment is saying his soul is crushed. He is heartbroken. He is stressed. He's got terrible, deep anguish in his soul. And so if you're there, or if you've been there, or when you're there, you need to know Jesus has been there too. Jesus has been upset. He has suffered. He has been through times of deep anguish and distress to the point of death, Jesus said. And I've talked with enough of you in here to know the, the battles with depression and anxiety and self-harm and all those kinds of things to know that you have been in the pit of despair. You have suffered. You've had those rock bottom moments. I can't tell you how many girls that I've talked to have dealt with rape or depression. Guys with addictions to alcohol or porn or drugs. I mean, it's, it's endless. And so I know, I know you've been there. And in this moment for Jesus, he is suffering. He's in distress, but he does it without sinning. So many times when we're in those weak moments, we, because of the weakness, we sin. We turn away from God or we turn to a substance or a person that wasn't designed to give us the, the healing and the, and the hope that we need. But if you've been in the pit, Jesus, the son of God says, I've been there too. I've been there too. I've been crushed with grief. And so if you've been there, if you're there right now, don't let anyone tell you that you are somehow less spiritual or some or, or, or ungodly because you're dealing with that depression or that anxiety. Some of the most godliest people that have walked the face of this earth in Christian history have battled with depression. Most people believe that Charles Spurgeon, the most famous preacher all of all time, besides Paul or, or, or Jesus, dealt with depression most of his life. There's stories of the elders in his church literally helping him physically up to a pulpit or to a stage to preach God's word because he was so depressed, yet he continued to serve God anyways. 
godly man, considered to be one of the most famous preachers ever, battled the depression most of his life. In this moment, Jesus is saying, I am crushed with grief to the point of death. And so he tells his disciples, and this is where you're going to participate here with me in just a second. Okay, these two words, all right, you ready? Stay here and... All right, one more time, okay? We're going to do better, okay? This is big. This is huge, okay? You're going to read this with me. You're going to participate, all right? Stay here and... With me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, and here's his but if not moment. Jesus says, if it's possible, Father, you can take this cup from me. Like, you are able, God. You can do anything. Nothing, Jesus said earlier, nothing is too hard for our God. There is nothing too hard for God. And so Jesus says, God, if you're willing, you can. You could take this cup from me. Maybe there's another way. Yet, or in other words, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, but if not, yet, Jesus says, watch this, your will, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me? Even one hour, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away from me unless I drink it, then your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The fire has come. The storm has been coming and it's here now the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. In the moment of the trial, the storm, the but if not kind of moment, in the middle of this moment, Jesus is committed to praying, to keeping watch and praying because the body is, is weak, but the Spirit of God inside of him is willing. The disciples, on the other hand, are invited to come and pray with Jesus. Jesus is calling them to come and to pray with them so that their faith will not deflate because he knows what's coming. And the disciples, instead of praying with Jesus, who's asking them, come, pray with me. I mean, imagine Jesus here with you right now saying, come, come and pray with me. Would you come and pray with me? I think most of us would think, man, in that moment, we would jump at the chance to pray with Jesus. Are you kidding me? But Jesus invites us to that every day. And we respond just like the disciples did. We've got other things to do. So the storm's coming. The disciples decide not to pray. Jesus sets the example for us and shows us how we are to respond when the storm is coming or when the storm is here, when we're going through the fire. Jesus shows us what our response should be that will cause our, our faith to inflate for the moment. Jesus prays. 
Jesus had been committed to prayer. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, it often says about Jesus that, that he would minister, he would heal, he would preach. And then it said he would go by himself to a lonely place to be with his father, to pray with his father. In fact, one time Jesus is, is healing a bunch of people and there's more to be done. But Jesus literally says, this isn't why I came. He healed tons of people. But he actually says they want him to keep healing more and more people. I mean, I'm sure you can imagine. And Jesus says, listen, this isn't why I came. I came to preach the good news of the kingdom. And he goes and preaches. And then he gets alone with his father to pray. So Jesus modeled this for us. And especially in the moment of the fire that he knew was coming for him. Where he would be betrayed into the hands of those who had put him on the cross. He knows what's coming and he goes to his knees in prayer. And here's why. Two reasons I think Jesus does this, at least. But two reasons we see in these verses. Number one is this. It's that prayer gives sight to the blind. Prayer gives sight to the blind. Did you notice how Jesus told the disciples, keep watch? They were, they were struggling. They were, they were falling asleep. Their, their eyes were shut. And he's telling, listen, you got to pray. You got to keep watch and pray because prayer gives sight to the blind. It allows you to get a glimpse into what God is doing. It allows you to see maybe what other people don't see. It gives you a new perspective. Brandon talked about this last week. It gives you a God-given perspective. When you go to your knees and, and you pray like Jesus did, it allows you to, to see things that other people don't see. It allows to see things about your situation or your circumstances or the storm that you wouldn't have seen otherwise unless you drop to your knees and you spend time praying with your father just like Jesus did. Prayer gives sight to the blind. The disciples couldn't keep their eyes open. They wouldn't join Jesus in prayer. And so they didn't see what Jesus saw. They didn't fully grasp or understand what was coming. And you'll see later how their faith deflates as a result because they didn't see what Jesus was seeing. So number one, prayer gives sight to the blind. Number two, prayer gives strength to the weak. Jesus said, the body is weak, but the spirit is willing. You see, when you pray, when you come into the presence of God and you pray, whether it's by yourself, Jesus said, go away by yourself, shut the door and pray to your father. We also see in the scripture that we're supposed to pray with other people. And so we believe in corporate prayer. So we want to pray in groups. And, and we often will come together for, for corporate prayer and worship nights. And, and so we, we believe that we need to pray alone and, and we need to pray together. But, but Jesus shows us that when we pray, we can have the ability to say, not my will, but yours be done. It gives us strength in the moment of our weakness. Paul said he had this thorn in his flesh and a lot of scholars debate about what that thorn was, what that, that problem, what that trial that he experienced was. But, but Paul prayed, Paul said, I prayed three times for the Lord to take it away. In other words, change my circumstances, heal me, God. Change my circumstances, heal me, rescue me, whatever it is, take it away. And Paul said three times, the Lord said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul said, and the Lord told him, 
in prayer, he said. Because he was asking the Lord to take it away. He was in prayer. And he heard God say to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, when we are weak, then we become strong. When we cry out to God, when we come to God and we drop to our knees and we pray, we say, God, I need your help. If you, I, know, I believe you can do it. If you can, if you could, would you do it, God? But even if you don't, in prayer, we're given the ability to say, but if not. We can't do that on our own because we're weak. When we're struggling, when we're going through the fire, when we're going through the, the suffering, the storm, we can't do that on our own. No, in our weakness, the devil is going to try to take us out and tempt us and distract us and make us bitter or angry with God and reject God and have our faith deflate and run from God because we're weak. And so that's why Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, guys, you're weak. The storm is coming. You're weak. You need to come keep watch with me and pray so that God will strengthen you. Because when you pray, God fills you up with his Holy Spirit and you have a supernatural strength that you didn't have before. And so Jesus says, come and pray because when you pray, my power will be made perfect in your weakness. And strength will be given to the weak. You'll be weak. You'll feel weak. Many of us have been there. But when you pray, God gives you strength. He strengthens you so that you're strong, not in yourself, so that you're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not your own. One of my favorite books is a book called Celebration of Disciplines by a guy named Richard Foster. It's one of the Christian classics. And in the book, he says to pray is to change because you can't come into the presence of God and pray and speak to God and God speak with you and not leave different from when you came. So Richard Foster said, so to pray is to change because you're coming into the presence of God as you speak with God, he speaks with you. He enables you to see things you couldn't see before. He gives you strength that you didn't have before. He gives you a new perspective that you didn't have before. He changes your heart. When we come and pray. And so let, let's see what happens next. Jesus has responded to the coming storm that he knows is coming with prayer. The disciples have not. And so let's see what happens next. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Some of your translations say something different. I love how the, the NIV literally says how many angels Jesus refers to. More than 12 legions of angels. But then... How would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So they come to, uh, soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And one of his companions, one of his disciples who had been sleeping, who hadn't been keeping watch and praying, so their eyes weren't open to what was happening in this moment, responds with physical force, takes out a sword and thinks he's going to go to battle. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. 
you, you haven't been praying with me. You don't understand what the Lord is doing right now. Don't you know, don't you realize that if I were to ask for it, that at my disposal, at my father's disposal, is more than 12 legions of angels? In one legion at this time in the Roman army, in one legion there would have been 6,000 soldiers. So when Jesus says, don't you realize that my father has more than 12 legions of angels he can send to me right now? What Jesus was saying, do the math in your head right real quick. He was saying, listen, it, with a snap of his finger, my father could send 72,000 angels to be here with us right now. In Isaiah 36, there's an example of one angel. Watch this. One angel of God taking out over 100, let me make sure I get this right, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel took out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. If I were, let's just say this real quick. I wouldn't mess with God, okay? Because our God is huge. Bigger than you can fathom. Bigger than you could ever understand. One angel took out 185,000 soldiers. So, any math majors in here, any accountants can do that real for us real quick. 72,000 times 185,000. I'll save you the time. It's over 13,320,000,000 soldiers. That's two times the population of Earth right now. Jesus says, guys, I, I know you were asleep, so you, you're not going to really, you don't really know what's going on here right now, but, but I've been praying, so I've been spending time with my father, so, so I have a little bit of insight into what the father is doing and what he can do, and so you just need to understand at the snap of a finger, my father could have 72,000 angels here. He could have said this, guys, open your eyes. Don't you see that they're even here right now? That God is with you right now? Seventy-two thousand. Open your eyes, guys. They're here with us right now. In Second Kings chapter six, that's what. The prophet Elijah said to his servant, 2 Kings 6, the, the prophet Elijah and his servant find themselves surrounded by the, the Aramean army. They're surrounded and, and the servant, Elisha, the prophet, his servant, his assistant says, is overcome with fear and is, has no idea what they're gonna do. And Elisha very calmly says, Lord, would you open his eyes so that he could see what I can see? And when Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. The eyes of the servant were opened. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, it says that he saw surrounding them a number that no one could count, angels in chariots of fire that were protecting them, that were already there with him for the coming battle. Jesus could have said, guys, 
Open your eyes. Open your eyes. You, you, you may not be able to see it because you hadn't been spending time in prayer with the Father like I have. But, but you need to open your eyes. Like open the, the eyes of your heart spiritually so that you can see what God is doing here in this moment. God's saying, listen, don't you? Look, there's angels all around us. We could take these guys out in a second. And if most of us knew that, if most of us saw what, what Jesus saw in that moment, most of us would respond and say, oh, you guys are going to get it. I told my dad. And my dad has all these angels here. Oh, he's going to kick your butt. That's how most of us would respond, knowing that that kind of power was at our disposal to avoid the suffering, to avoid the trial, to avoid the storm. But Jesus, knowing what was at his disposal, chose the plan and will of God anyways. Because he knew as the son of God that not even he was exempt from suffering. Because you see, in his time in prayer that he had had with the father and because it was the mission of why he came, he knew that the cross awaited him. He knew it. Peter said this in Acts chapter two, that it was the plan of God to crush his son. He was quoting from Isaiah chapter 53 that says this. Prophesying about the Messiah who would come. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. You see, Jesus knew that the rescue plan involved him being crushed, him suffering. And so watch this. Jesus was more concerned with your eternal suffering than he was with his own temporary suffering. Jesus was more concerned with your eternal suffering to pay the fine for your sin in a place called hell. He was more concerned with your eternal suffering that Jesus called in this eternal fire that never runs out. He was more concerned with your eternal suffering than he was with his own temporary suffering. And so knowing even what he had at his disposal, knowing, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He walked through the fire. He chose the storm because he cared more about your eternal suffering than he did about his own temporary suffering. And so because he saw, because he knew the plan of God and he knew what was going to happen and he knew 
That this was the way to defeat sin and death so that you and I could have a relationship with God and that by placing our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, as it says in Isaiah 53, that he, through his death on the cross, would be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin, beaten so we could be made whole, whipped so that we could be healed. Like sheep, we've gone astray. But God left, put the iniquity, the sin of us on him. And he took it in our place. And so he stepped into the fire. He stepped in the storm. He stepped into the suffering for you and for me. And some of you are here tonight. You've never made the decision to give your life to Jesus. You know, you need to know, you need to understand there's a penalty. There's a fine to be paid for your sin. It's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But Jesus was pierced for you. He was crushed for you. He suffered for you. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was nailed to a cross for you to take the fine, to pay the fine that you and I owe for our sin upon himself. So the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus, your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you go to heaven because you know and believe that God laid your sin on Jesus and it was crucified to the cross. And some of you are here tonight and you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, knowing that the suffering he went through was for you so that you wouldn't have to suffer in eternity in hell. And so Jesus because he kept watching and prayed, because he prayed and he spent time with his father, was able to see some things that the disciples couldn't see. He was able to submit himself to the plan and to the will of God. He was able to trust his father even in the time of question. He was able to trust his father through it all because he prayed. And because he prayed, he was given sight. He was given strength to walk through the fire, to walk through the storm for your sake and for mine. A friend of mine named Jill has been through the fire. She's been through the storm over the last couple of years and she's continued to pursue Jesus through it and even since and I want you to see her story and what God has done in her and through her as a result of the fire and the storm that she's been through over the past couple of years. So check this out. On October the 12th of 2016, my life changed forever. That was the day I met my daughter, Brianna. It was the most unexpected and unusual circumstance that brought her into my life and one that can only be explained by an act of God. At age 18, she had just aged out of foster care and sadly, she had become homeless and was living on the streets. One day out of desperation, she called the church where I worked looking for help and her call was routed to me. And as I began hearing her story about how she ended up there alone and scared in a McDonald's bathroom with nowhere to go, God moved in my heart and I decided to drive to that McDonald's and I picked her up. And that is where our story began. We brought Brianna into our home 
and we became her family. She quickly bonded with my kids and our other family members. We spent all of the holidays together. We had hopes of adopting her one day, and she even started calling us mom and dad. It was the most powerful thing to watch this young, broken girl begin to experience God's love and grace for the very first time. She grew so close to Him. She devoured every sermon she heard. She began studying her Bible. Her favorite thing to do was to be in the presence of God, worshiping Him. We often did that together. We began praying together regularly, and she would write in her journal about what she was learning and how God was working in her heart. I loved her faith in God. I loved watching her grow in her relationship and experience new things about Him. In a matter of months, she got her GED, she got her driver's license and a car, she got a job. She was making huge strides in getting her two little boys back. And she was on the road to recovery from a drug addiction. She got involved in church. She was volunteering. She started having Bible studies of her own with her friends. She was so bold for Jesus. God began mending relationships from her past, and little by little, God was putting her back together. But we also had some difficult days as she dealt with the emotional scars from past abuse and addiction and the mental illness that she had battled for a long time. As she began to spiral down, her faith in God was still strong. She would cry out to Him and reach out for Him. And we prayed and prayed for God to help us all through that struggle. And we believed He was going to see us through it, just like He always had. Then in February of the following year, our lives changed again. Actually, our world came crashing down the night we got the call that this child whom I had grown to love as my own had made the decision to end her life. There are no words to describe the amount of pain and heartbreak we felt and still feel. It was a nightmare that we are still trying to wake up from. So many questions. How could this have happened? What could I have done differently? It made no sense. I didn't understand how God could go to such great lengths to save her and prove His love to her, and she still make that choice. In the aftermath of her death, it would have been easy for me to turn my back on God and blame Him. Sure, I was angry and hurt and confused and heartbroken, but somehow through my grief, I still believed that God is good. I think what helped me stay close to Him early on was reading through her journal and reliving all those moments of how He was working in her life. And also the most amazing things started to happen. I began getting messages from people, from her friends, wanting to know more about this Jesus that she came to love. I got to share the gospel with people because of this tragedy, and many of her friends got saved because of it. Her twin brother, Brennan, was one of them. Brennan's life is also a miracle. The fact that today Brennan is walking with Jesus is a testimony of that. Grieving is so hard. 
I have days that the pain is unbearable. I still hurt, I still get angry. I even get angry at God sometimes for not stopping her, for making that terrible decision. But in those moments, I feel Jesus with me. Sometimes it's through the little things like a hug from a friend or a random text message or being able to watch her two boys grow up. I can also feel him when I read her own words that she wrote in her journal. It's in so many little things that God proves himself to me because he reminds me constantly of all the little ways and the huge ways that he proved his love to her. I love that because when I'm in that place of fire, that overwhelming pain, I remember his promises for me that, that he has peace, that he has joy, that I don't have to be afraid of the fire because he's there with me. And even if my heart never fully mends, I will never stop worshiping him because I believe he is good. Would you help me thank Jill for sharing her story? You know, speaking of prayer, Paul said this in Philippians chapter four. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and watch this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when you pray, you begin to see things that you didn't see before. God gives you a, a peace that you didn't have before. He gives you a, a strength that you didn't have before. And when you spend time in prayer with your Father and you, you, you present your request to God, there's a peace that comes in and calms the anxiety. There's a protection that comes in over your heart and your mind that, that keeps you strong, that keeps you from turning away in that, that moment of weakness. And so here's what we want you to see tonight. It's this, it's that prayer turns your why not into, but if not. When we go through the fire, when, when we go through the storm, we'll often say, God, why not? Why didn't you do this? Why not do it like this? Why not deliver me from this? Why not rescue me, heal me, take it away, God? Why not? But as we spend time in prayer, like Jesus did, and God begins to change us and change our hearts, we can begin to say through the Holy Spirit's empowering in us and through us, not what I will, but your will be done. In other words, our why not turns into, but if not, I believe you can save me. I believe my God can rescue me from the fire, but if not, we will never stop worshiping and serving our God. You know, in verse 56, when the men come and arrest Jesus, it says that the disciples in that moment deserted him and fled. And some of you have been there before. In the moment of the trial, in the moment of the storm, you've deserted Jesus and you've turned your back on him and, and you fled from him because things didn't go the way that you wanted them to go. Well, I believe Jesus is inviting you tonight to come back to him. To strengthen you, 
to give you a peace, to strengthen you so that you can stand your ground, to grow your faith so that you can walk through this storm. And so my hope is is that you hear tonight God calling you back to himself and giving you the ability and the desire to say, I'm gonna follow you now. And even when things don't go my way, but if not, I will still worship. I will still serve you. And so because of what we see happen in the disciples, here's what we can know to be true, that we must, like Jesus said, we must keep watch and be devoted to prayer. And so this week, I wanna challenge you, go into your closet and pray to your father. Get by yourself, pray to your father. Get out your Bible, read your Bible, uh, listen to some worship music and begin to pray and make your requests known to God. And then get together with some other people. You need to be in a group. Maybe that's joining a Raider group. You need to be able to get together with other followers of Jesus and pray. Just like Jesus invited the disciples, hey, come on, let's pray together. You need to get some people around you where you can pray together with other followers of Jesus so that in the moment of the storm, the fire, your faith inflates. And you have a defiant faith in the fire. Our team's gonna lead us in worship, so let's stand and we're gonna worship We're gonna worship God. And as you do, I just wanna invite you to close your eyes and and hear this prayer of David. So as you stand, just close your eyes. And David said this in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you, God, are close beside me. And even when I'm walking through the the valley of the shadow of death, I know, he said this, that as the good shepherd, your rod and your staff, the tools of the shepherd, will comfort me and protect me. And so tonight, would you just make this your prayer? God, even in the darkest valley, I know that you're with me. I know that you're here right now, God, with me right now. God, I I know that you see me and you know what I'm going through. Make your request, come on, make your request known to God right now and hear him saying to you, I'm with you, I'm close beside you, I'm your good shepherd. My rod and my staff will comfort you and protect you. And so just ask for that tonight, God. God, as a great shepherd, shepherd, would you comfort me? Would you protect me? Would you strengthen me? Would you enable me to see the things that I haven't been seeing? Would you call me back into relationship with you? The Bible says if you return to God, he'll return to you. And so return to him tonight and pray and make your request known to God. And God, we thank you that you're giving us a faith, a defiant faith in the middle of the storm. God, I believe you're doing that right now in every one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You're giving us a defiant faith that will inflate before the fire, that will inflate in light of the storm and will enable us to say, but if not, we will still worship. We will still serve you, God, because you are so good. You are the great shepherd. Thank you, God. We worship you now. In Jesus' name.